You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 53. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. Welcome back. I hope you're having a great week. Whether you've been dealing with seasonal effects on your mood and well-being like most of us, or you've been feeling a bit of balance with your emotions, today's episode is for you. My guest is Sarah Hannah Silverstein. She is a registered herbalist. She introduces her clients to herbs and teaches them how to include plants into their lives to help them feel stronger and more able to cope with emotional and physical problems and concerns. Sarah Hanna is trained in classical homeopathy and is an international board-certified lactation and breastfeeding consultant. As a doula, she has helped to deliver more than 450 babies. She is an author, columnist, keynote speaker, adult education teacher, community advocate for women and children, She's also a wife and a mother of seven children. By the end of today's episode, we'll explore with Sarah Hanna her thoughts and strategies for improving your mood and emotional health. Enjoy. Hello, Sarah Hanna. How are you doing? Hi, Lana. This is so exciting. It is. I'm so thrilled that you are able to join me. I want to ask you a little bit about yourself. So you're a mother of seven kids. You are an herbalist. You are a homeopath. You have so many different hats that you wear. How did your journey begin? When did you become interested in working with women and children? So I began my journey with herbs when I was a college student and I suffered from very severe seasonal allergies that ended up being 12 month a year allergies. And I tried allopathic medicine. I had allergy shots. Um, I used all the decongestants and antihistamines and I found them not to make me feel good or comfortable. So I started with herbs and they really started to help me. Once I had a child, I felt like I was not a master herbalist. I was not schooled in medicine. And I really kind of went with the flow of what my doctors were doing. Well, my one daughter started to get chronic strep throat and the antibiotics were not treating it. They were not helping her. And every time we'd give her an antihistamine, she was so young and she'd tell me that her head felt fuzzy and she couldn't concentrate. And at that point, I knew that I had to research something else. And I went back to herbs because I had loved the way it felt with me. And I felt confident as a parent to start experimenting with herbs. And my daughter got better and stopped having strep. I then became a lactation consultant where um, I've had the honor of working with over 25,000 breastfeeding moms. And I was trained in 
allopathic medicine, conventional medicine. That's how I was trained to treat them. And then I said, you know, women have had breast infections for thousands of years before we discovered antibiotics. Like, what would I have done as a midwife of old? And what happened was my clients were thrilled because the herbs and the poultices I was using worked so much quicker and so much more effective than the antibiotics they were using that people started driving two to three hours to meet me and work with me in breastfeeding and pregnancy because I would combine both allopathic with conventional medicine and they really wanted to have choices of using one or the other. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you. So um, in addition to your work with women and children, I know that you have been really talking and really educating people about herbal medicine and the beauty and the benefits of herbal medicine. But you're a city dweller. And so you understand very well the, the concerns that come to a lot of us that live in the city. And so I want to pick your brain a little bit on these topics. So why do you feel that herbal medicine and natural medicines can be beneficial to pretty much anyone that lives in urban environment? So it's so funny that you bring this up because I was taking herbal classes in Midtown Manhattan with a master herbalist. And people were driving from Connecticut and New Jersey and beautiful rural areas. And my teacher said, if you want to heal a person, see what grows around their house. Because the plants around them are trying to survive with the same stresses that they are. So everyone was really exciting and ooing and aahing. And I went over to my teacher and I stopped my foot and I said, you know, I live in Brooklyn. And if you want to see what grows around me, it's concrete, it's cars, it's pollution. There's a little bit of dog poop. I mean, like, which of those am I supposed to use to heal my clients? And she handed me a Peterson guide and she said, take a walk and open your eyes. And the next morning I grabbed my very hesitant husband and I said, we're walking through the streets of Brooklyn and we're looking if any herbs grow. And within a two block radius, I found 10 medicinal herbs growing through the cracks in the concrete. Herbs that I had never looked at before, never noticed, never cared about. Now, I'm not gonna tincture and make herbal preparations from a busy street in Brooklyn. But there they were. I mean, there was shepherd's purse that helps with women in staining. There was ginkgo that helps with brain fog and asthma. There was mullein leaves and flowers that helps with winter coughs and ear infections. And I realized that within two blocks, I could make an entire pharmacy that could heal probably 95% of the ailments of people that were coming to me. So I mentioned to you that I teach pharmacy students. Uh, every uh, semester, I bring an herbalist who takes us for a to a field trip for a walk, and we literally walk around the block and we look at all the weeds that are growing around us, and it's really very humbling and very inspiring. I think for my students to recognize just how much diversity is around us in the city, in the middle of this concrete jungle. So thank you. Thank you for bringing this up for us. 
Um, I do medicinal weed walks in Brooklyn, and I'm doing a class um, uh, hopefully in the fall at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens where I teach. And most people talk about the plants that were planted in the gardens. Mm. And my walk's going to be about all, everything that was not planted intentionally. So I think it's really also, I agree, awe-inspiring and really humbling to repeat your words, to see that medicine is growing right there for us. Right. And that it, I think that it's important for us to recognize that things that we really need are right around us. So thank you for that. So, uh, Sarah Hannah, you are an author of a new book that is called uh, Moodtopia. So first of all, how did you come up with the title? Why Moodtopia? Is having a positive mood a utopia? What do you think? Yes, well, I, I, my husband actually came up with the word Moodtopia, and it kind of really resonated with myself, my co-writer, and my publisher. And my definition of Moodtopia is being in control of your moods so they don't control you. So I talk a lot about herbs and essential oils in my book that have been used for thousands of years, but I also have researched, you know, and, and delved in deeply into the different philosophies and outlooks on moods. And moods are real, moods come and go. It's just that when moods kind of hijack us or overtake us and we're not able to get past them to feel success in our work place with our husbands, our mates, our children. That's really what I'm talking about in Moodtopia is recognizing your moods, honoring your moods, knowing they're real, but not necessarily letting them dominate you. Now, I have a chapter in the book called Fake It. Now, most modern psychologists would say, fake it. We've spent hundreds of years opening ourselves up so we can, you know, say what's on our mind. And my philosophy is like this. If you're having a really horrible day and everything is falling apart and your kids get home from school, it's not really fair that you should then inflict the mood that the day created for you on them. So. I feel that as adults, we need to learn to acknowledge our moods, maybe put them on the shelf for a couple hours, put on a fake smile for our children, really try to be there for them. And then at the end of the day, go back and reevaluate what the day was like. What are those moods? So I'm not saying that we repress our moods, but, you know, if you're sad and you need to be excited about something at work. That sadness is true and real, but is it going to work for you at that moment? And can you get the skills to push past that mood and revisit it later? And that's the skills that I give in my book, Moodtopia. So can you talk a little bit more about these skills? What are some of the strategies uh, that you want people to learn from your book? What are some of the ideas where you think that uh, would be helpful to the emotional health, to the mood of someone who is reading your book? So I have a chapter in there where I talk about random acts of kindness. Now, you know, it's such an interesting thing, random acts of kindness, because, you know, I, I, I quoted a mentor in the psychology field, and he said that, you know, to give a poor person a meal 
you don't have to be in a good mood. And that poor person that's receiving that mood doesn't really even care what's going on with you. The bottom line for that person is, is that you've helped them out. So studies are showing that random acts of kindness lower people's blood pressure, not the receivers, the givers. It also reduces cortisol levels and increases pleasure hormones in your body. So if you're going through really tough times in your life, everything you're experiencing is nice. At, I mean, it's not nice, God forbid, is, is appropriate. But for you to walk around grumpy and angry is not going to fix the situation. So if you're having a hard day, just begin by practicing holding the door open for someone, letting someone in if they have their turn signal in as you're driving, maybe hand a homeless person besides some money, maybe a protein bar and a, and a bottle of water. And, and what happens is when people take on um, random acts of kindness as a hobby, they find that a couple months later, they have better tools and are able to handle the stresses in their life. So that's an inexpensive and easy way to start feeling healthier emotionally. That's great. So um, I know that part of the book talks about the fact that it takes about three months to start rewiring your system or 90 days for you to really see the benefits of learning these different tools, learning these different strategies. Could you talk to, uh, to us a little bit about that? Well, I know from my experience of helping women with fertility and hormonal cycle challenges, that it takes a minimum of three months for the body to rebalance itself. So when we are used to being angry or sad or frustrated all the time, it's our go-to reflex and habits are really hard to change. So I, I, I'm a big fan of talk therapy, but what I found, and, and I'm not, I am advocating everybody should have a therapist, everybody should have a mentor, but what I have found with clients that come to me is that after they've done years and years of talk therapy, they may have problem solved, you know, maybe just some acts of ideas of getting along with their husbands better, or maybe their children better, or their coworkers, but it doesn't tend to change the chemical reactions that are having in their body. They're still getting migraines. They're still getting stomach aches. So when you take on a handful of the suggestions in my book, along with maybe a couple herbs, you will feel after 90 days that you don't react as strongly to frustrations as you did in the past. And you'll be able to stay calmer in stressful situations because a lot of the suggestions in my book are really from the outside in. For instance, I talk about the benefit of laughter. Now, in certain parts of the world, they have something that's called laughter yoga. Now, it's really hard to laugh when you're going through rough times. It's really, you may not even feel like laughing, laughing, but if you induce even fake laughter. What studies are showing is that it lowers cortisol levels. And our goal with living such stressful lives is to reduce our cortisol levels. So if you're having a horrible day and you know you watch 20 minutes of a comedy and you sit quietly somewhere and allow yourself to laugh out loud, your body will have less stress in your body. And that's what I'm looking for. 
Thank you. That sounds really powerful. So uh, in addition to the lifestyle modifications that you are recommending in your book, um, you also mentioned that you are talking about a handful of herbs, perhaps some aromatherapy. Any other categories of things that you're typically recommending to someone who is struggling with uh, emotional health or mood disorders? Well, you know, I talk in the book Moodtopia about the impact of color on our moods. And, you know, I tell the story in my book about a woman that had first given birth to a stillborn. And with her second baby, she was, I helped her get through reducing her milk after the stillborn. And she called me very enthusiastically after her second child. And she said, I gave birth to a healthy child and my baby's breastfeeding well, and I want to come into the office just to show you what a great breastfeeder my baby is. And she came in and the baby was a horrible breastfeeder. The baby was barely taking in a half an ounce. The baby was not proficient at the breast. And I had to be honest with her. I mean, I'm a medical practitioner and I looked at her and I said, we're going to fix this baby. We're going to fix this situation, but your baby's really not the best breastfeeder. And she started sobbing and then she started laughing and she said, you know, everything is horrible today, but there's only one good thing in this office. And she said, that's the only good thing is that I'm dressed in my color palette and I look fabulous. And I looked over to her and she was not a beautiful woman. She was a little bit heavy and she was wearing this gorgeous forest green skirt and this beautiful rust sweater. And she had this stunning lipstick on and she looked radiant. And it hit me in that moment that as superficial as it may seem on the first sound of it to wear colors that that enhance the way you look and make you feel good may not have the impact that it does, but color really changes things. So if you're going through a struggle in your life, you need to pull out of your closet some blouses or shirts that are a bright yellow or a dynamic turquoise or a deep purple. Because when you look in the mirror, even if times are rough, those colors radiate energy. And those that energy can really help boost your mood. And if you're stuck in a little cubicle at work and it's really sad, you need to get as much color around you as possible because studies again show what an impact color has. Advertising agencies know this. They know that you have about 30 seconds to look at a package and they'll tell you that color and the effects of color can change your decision within a snap of the dime. So I encourage my clients to indulge in colors, find the colors that make them feel good. There are color therapists out there that will give you a palette of colors that work with your skin tone and your eye tone and your hair tone. And I can tell you in my experience working with women who are struggling to keep their emotions in balance, when they get their color palettes done, they just feel better every day. I so much love this message. Thank you for this. It's so uplifting. And it's, uh, I completely agree with you that um, you mentioned earlier that faking it, faking the idea of being in balance and being present and 
attracting as much energy, positive energy to yourself as possible is something that will elevate you and something that will help you to overcome whatever it is that you're dealing with. Um, one area of your book is uh, relates to intuition. And I want you to talk a little bit about this because intuition is something that we often struggle with. We, we know that there is science. We know that there is thinking. We know we are very rational most of the times. But how does intuition intuition come into our lives and why is it so important to our moods? So in Moodtopia, I talk about how getting in touch with your intuitive self, as I call it, takes work. It's not like you can wake up one morning and go, whoa, I really want to tap into my intuitive self. Like becoming proficient at anything, whether you want to be a mathematician, you want to, you know, be a gymnast, you have to really work at these skills. So what happens with intuition is like we can put our child in a class and we can hear that this is the best third grade teacher. But when we meet the third grade teacher, we feel in our gut, in the pit of our stomach, that this is not going to work for our child. But like, this is the best teacher. And everyone says, I'm so lucky. So we tend to not switch our child. And then when it's like two months into the semester, and we go to the principal, they're like, well, if you had told us in the beginning, we could have switched your child out. It's a little bit late. So what I tell my clients is, is that they need to start becoming a little bit more aware in the present moment because most of us are either living in the past and regretting all those mistakes we made or we have our dreams in the future about you know what we want our life to look like in six months so one of the things I talk about in the book Mootopia is thinking like a spy so spies have to, I've never been a spy, but I'm, I'm fascinated by spies and I read about <laughs> their training. And when you walk into a room, spies learn to find out immediately where are the exit doors, where are the windows, how many phones are in the room, who are in the room, what does the ceiling look like? Where are the air conditioning vents? So they become very self-aware and they have what is called 360 awareness. And when my clients that are struggling to be in control of their moods, they tell me all the time that they feel like they're in brain fog and they just decisions are hard for them. And when we practice this 360 awareness, they become more aware of the smells in the room the sights, the colors, the shadows in the room, and then they become more aware of themselves. And what what am I feeling in this moment? Do, do I like this person? Do I feel this person is a little bit intimidating? You know, what, what do I feel? Do I like this restaurant I'm in or do I like the one down the street better? And when people become more aware of their surroundings, it allows them to become more self-aware. And when you're really more self-aware, not worried about, you know, what, what social media is thinking, not worried about, you know, what the latest fashion magazine is thinking, then their intuitive self comes alive and becomes a part of their everyday experience and really becomes their best friend. I mean, they can just sit there and say, okay, I just had a first blind date. I mean, I know He's super handsome and makes lots of money. What am I really feeling? And that's where women and men need to be when they make decisions. 
How do you remind yourself to be more self-aware in the moment? I mean, I I find with my clients that we need to go from the outside in because we most, especially city dwellers, are just so overwhelmed with finding parking, dealing with traffic, you know, trying to get the, you know, it most inexpensive prices of food and, you know, they just are so inundated that if you can just stop, and I know it sounds ridiculous and just, you know, the old statement, just smell the roses, you know, just, just look at the way the light is, you know, reflecting off a building, just, you know, stop for a minute and feel both your feet grounded in the ground just relaxing your shoulders. You know, people really want to get into meditation, but it's so hard for so many people. But like, just at a red light, take a deep breath. And I find when people start doing these things on the outside, that they become more aware on the inside. I absolutely love this, uh, this idea and this recommendation. Thank you for that. So I have a question for you that relates to some of your favorite resources. So I know that your book uh, has lots of different suggestions, but other things that you would recommend to our listeners, perhaps other books, maybe companies, products, websites that you um, strongly recommend or that you, whose products you enjoy, perhaps as they relate to mood or in general. So maybe this is a good time to just talk about herbs because I am an herbalist and I I really feel that if people find one to four herbs that work for them that it's something they can carry in their briefcase in their backpacks in their purse in their luggage and they can take them as they need so when you work with an herbalist and I take a history I usually spend at least an hour and a half with a client taking their complete history and then I come up with an herbal combination that I feel is going to address you know there are many different emotional challenges in my book Mootopia I introduce each of these herbs singly because I want people to get a feeling and not everybody's going to be able to work with an herbalist but if we take depression and in the book I like to call it melancholy um people that are in that state some will overeat some lose their appetite completely. Some people will sleep all the time. Other people will have insomnia. Some people, when they're depressed, they become extra high exerciseaholics and they're in the gym way too much. And other people become couch potatoes. So what I like with herbs is that herbs will help different people in different emotional places. Like for instance, skullcap is one of my favorite herbs for people that are struggling with nervousness, um, agitation, frustration, anxiety. Skullcap is in the mint family. Um, you can drink it in a tea. I personally like my herbs in tincture, which is liquid form. I am not a fan of herbs in capsules because I feel they dry out too quickly and it's hard for them to stay fresh on the shelf. So Skullcap, for instance, is an herb that if you get knots in your stomach from agitation or you scream too much, yell too much, get angry too much, um, skullcap is an herb that you can take two to three times a day in tincture form. It's very portable. 
I like it di diluted in a little bit of water. And there are many herb companies out there. Um, if you'd like me to mention some names, I like Herbalist and Alchemist, um, our mutual teacher, David Winston. I like the herbs Herb Farm. These herbs to me are well-produced, have long shelf life, and are very safe to use. An herb like motherwort is an herb for hormonal moodiness. And I feel with women, women can be moody before their cycle, during their cycle, at the end of their cycle, and in between. And it helps balance the hormones. It doesn't change the way they work in the body, but it balances them so women can feel less grumpy. And you know, it's so funny because years ago I had a man in my office and spent an hour and a half with him. And he just sounded like he needed the herb motherwort. But when I learned about it, it was like only for women. So I took a plunge and I suggested that he used it. And a couple weeks later, he and his wife said that he'd been so much less moody and so much easier to live with. So I called my teacher at the time and I said, oh my gosh, did I break every rule in the book? I just gave a man motherwort and it worked beautifully. And she said, no. You didn't break any rules. You just opened up the door so more herbalists can understand that motherwort is not only for women. So that's a story that I love to say. So when you include these herbs in your life, they're not going to change when bad things happen to good people. And we all know, and this is a whole other show that bad things happen to good people, but good people, when bad things happen, they want to have tools to feel more in control of handling the challenges that they have. And skullcap and motherwort are there. And even if you're not having a tragedy, you know, to another person, just going shopping at a, at a crowded grocery is enough to make them nervous and agitated or, you know, just like finishing a good book, like what am I going to read next? So skullcap and motherwort is not only for crisis, it's for everyday use. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, so as we are coming to an end of this interview, I have a few more questions for you. So uh, how can someone continue learning from you and about you? And my uh, last question is, what are some of the uh, parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave this audience with? Thank you. So I... I have a website. It's sarahkhana.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A.com. And of course, my book, Moodtopia, is available all on the internet, all over the place. And I also am on Instagram. That's S. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And as I become more involved in social media, my goal is to help educate people out there because I think that everyone wants to know how to integrate alternative medicine with conventional medicine. I get a lot of messages now through social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and email through my website, and either myself or my office staff try to answer every question that we get. And for parting words, you know, I wish that moods were taught to kindergartners, elementary, junior high, high school, and college students. I wish that the there were more discussion about how 
There are some people that just seem to manage their moods beautifully. And then we have on the other extreme people that have road rage and God forbid shootings and people that are committing suicide these days. And then we have people that are in the middle. And I think that everybody, including the people that appear to have it together and the people on the end of the spectrum that are really not coping and everybody in between need to learn that being in control of your moods takes work. It takes research. What works for your friend may not work for you. That having a mentor to speak to is very important. And that when we have these inside turmoils, there's a lot of outside things we can do, like we discussed faking laughter, getting some beautiful colors around you, using herbs and aromatherapy. Aromatherapy can make your environment smell better. My, my daughter was in the hospital for eight months, and that's a whole nother discussion, which I speak about in the beginning of Moodtopia. And what I did was I just sprayed different essential oils around the room, and it made it not smell like a hospital anymore. And even though we were in crisis, we were able to breathe in flowers and, and trees and beautiful smells. So even if people are stuck in challenging situations, which people are all over the world, it doesn't mean that they can't gather their skills and their tools to help them feel better. And that's really why I wrote Moodtopia. There's a lot of inexpensive, easy to use skills, and I'm hoping that'll help change a lot of people's lives. Sarah Hannah, thank you so much. This is such a powerful message. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Sarah Hannah Silverstein. You can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 53. Please subscribe to the show to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Tamim Teas. Tamim Teas is a local company specializing in creation of medicinal mushroom teas. Two of my current favorite blends are Lion Maitake Clarity and Rishi Delight. I use them to enhance cognition and for their effects on immune system. Few episodes back, I interviewed Liat Racine, the creator of these beautiful teas, about the science and art of mushroom blends. To get 15% off on your first online purchase, please enter the promo code tamim for health at uh, wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash tamim before December 1st. You can also get free shipping if you purchase two blends or more. To see this information one more time, head over to the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 53. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Blog Talk Radio.
Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share. She is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the wisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. Happy, happy birthday. Hi. I hope I didn't confuse you too much by telling you I might call from a different number and then calling from my regular number. <laughs> I was I've been out at a wee birthday party. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. And my friend Betsy, you know, Betsy in Tucson, called to remind me that we celebrate birthdays in a rather odd way. So we celebrate birthdays at the end of that year, right? Right. So mm-hmm. 76, I, I have lived 76 years, and she says that means I'm embarking on my 77th year on the planet. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. She says those double digits are always going to bring all kinds of exciting things. I'm like, yeah. Okay, for excitement. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. The, the, the conference is still... 
Yes, the Cup Free Conference is kind of like my birthday present to myself, you know, coming up at the end of April, and we're just so excited about it. I talked a little bit about it uh, last week, told you about uh, David Hoffman and uh, Ellen Everett Hopman, and a little bit about what they were going to do, and um, we just have so many wonderful, wonderful presenters, right? How about busting comfrey myths with herbalist Linda Conroy? Mm. She says, comfrey is a plant that has been demonized by the overculture, and so there are many fear-based myths circulating. She's going to dispel them and offer her practical experience utilizing comfrey for food, medicine, companion planting, plant fertilizer, and more. Yeah, Linda. And a big shout out to Linda. Linda's a past apprentice. And uh, she's one of the past apprentices who went on to start an herbal conference. Pam Montgomery was the first with Green Nations. And there's been so many. And uh, Linda's having an in-person Herbal Conference this year, the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, and invited me to go out and be there. And I feel so honored um, that I will be there and that uh, Linda and all of the women who are working on this conference are standing strong. They know me, and they said they're not about to be swayed by the words of people who don't know me, which seems reasonable and fair to me to say, hey, if I know somebody, I'm not going to imagine that somebody who doesn't know them has like an inner line to that person. I'm going to like go with that. And right here with me, I have another past apprentice, and that is Astrid, Astrid Grove. You want to say hi? Hello. Uh, There she is. And Astrid is going to be talking about Comfrey and the childbearing year. You know, that's one of the big myths, isn't it? Right? Many people will say, okay, well, you can use Comfrey, but you have to only use it externally. Well, okay, maybe you could use Comfrey internally. But if you use it internally, you have to be really, really careful and really, really sure that you um, don't give it to any pregnant or lactating woman. And Astrid is a midwife, and she's going to be talking to us about her experiences of using comfrey with pregnant and lactating women. What's what's that? What has she seen? All right, what's uh, what might you expect? Again, my goal here with the comfrey conference is to kind of reset the stories. We have these stories that have been circulating and that we have been given, but um, how true are they? What do they, you know, what what do they actually reflect back to? How much can we trust those stories, and how much can we trust our own experiences? And I think that's a lot of um, maybe the theme here that we're really being shown that 
we have this wonderful internet which helps us to learn so much and keeps us so connected and does so much for us and yet at the same time the internet confuses us because it's very easy on the internet to pass along information that isn't your information and you know that's where i that's where i started with herbal medicine information that didn't really belong to the people who were giving me the information native american indian herbology a classic book a book that i you know practically memorized but it wasn't written by a native american woman right it was written by a russian woman which was great, because mm-hmm. then she gives us all the Russian uses for it as well. But she's, again, not even really talking about her personal experiences, which leads to some actually pretty glaring errors in that book where she doesn't quite get the difference between um, certain plants that go by the same name but aren't actually the same at all. But because she hasn't used them... It's not clear to her what's going on there. And um, I always teased when I would introduce the book to people, and there's a a picture of um, Alma in the the frontispiece, and it shows her sitting in a library uh, uh, with a book. Mm. And it's it's almost a jarring image, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Nowadays, if we're going to read an herbal, we expect to see the person outside, sitting with the plants, right? Yes. So I had, I kind of had to teach myself herbal medicine in a way because the books that I was reading were so secondhand that they they didn't really um, help me to understand the plants the way I wanted to understand the plants. Mm. So I'm I'm really looking for um, the Comfrey Conference to do that for all of us instead of saying, oh, this book says that at Comfrey, to say, oh, these are the people who use Comfrey. And this is what the people who use Comfrey have to say about it. Comfrey Conference is going to be absolutely free for the week that it's up. And um, then after that, it will be available as a course. So I'm, as I said, thinking of it as a birthday present to myself and uh, a birthday present to everybody. Now, of course, because I was at this birthday party, I took the information about tonight's guest with me so that I would have it. And let's see, Block Talk Radio guest. Ah, here we go. Sara Chana Silverstein, a herbalist, classic homeopath, author, columnist, keynote speaker, adult education teacher, and a community advocate for women and 
children. In fact, she has seven children herself, and she is a board-certified lactation breastfeeding consultant who has helped over 18,000 babies successfully breastfeed. So that's going to be at 9 o'clock that you'll be able to come and hear Sarachana talk to us about her experiences. Stay with us until then or come back. Uh, whichever way, it's all good by us. What do you have to say tonight? I've been going a mile a minute here. I haven't let you get a oh. word in edgewise. So here's your chance. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot to add. I'm excited about the Comfrey Conference, and all of the presenters are excited about their videos that they're creating, and um, they're starting to come in. So really exciting. I don't know. Ever since in bulk, it does feel like spring is on the way. So looking forward to that. And um, yeah, that's, I don't. I don't really have anything else to add. We have some callers on the line and. Looking forward to the show tonight. All right. Well, uh, we have some questions. We could go ahead and get started with them. All right. Sounds great. Uh, We have, let's see, four callers that have raised their hands with questions this evening. I'll remind everyone else listening, press one if you would like to raise your hand. Be lined up in the queue to ask a question to Susan live this evening. And our first caller is coming in from the 661 area code. From the 661, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Hi. I sure can. Um, Thank you so much for your time and happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm calling tonight because I am kind of just feeling a little stuck. Um, I'm 36 and got a breast cancer diagnosis last uh, July. So I've been, um, I I agreed to do chemotherapy with targeted antibody therapy um, because of the type of cancer. It's HER2 positive. And I heard your chat with someone uh, a few weeks ago about chemotherapy and, you know, I wish I had called sooner and maybe made other decisions, but I know now I just have to kind of move forward. Um, but basically I'm just wondering now moving forward, I've had surgery um, and there's no more cancer, but they do say that there are precancerous cells there, which may or may not be related to the actual cancer scenario I'm dealing with. Um just basically trying to ask myself the right questions about treatment moving forward and um, see where I can, you know, get the best information. I do have your breast health book and basically they're um, recommending radiation and um, continuing this antibody therapy. Um, But I've just put a pause on everything to try to get some clarity on my own. Cancer is a real the adversary. And when you're on the front lines fighting it, um, mm-hmm. you tend to become um, the kind of person who just wants everybody to do the most they possibly can. 
Mm-hmm. And I completely understand. And I might become that kind of person, too, if I had to, uh, you know, every single hour of every day deal with somebody who was dealing with cancer and see them die. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard in my life to have my beloved Marie Summerwood call me up, say, I found a lump the size of a lentil in my armpit and have her dead a few months later. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, and I thought, well, you know, look how that shook me just going through it once. Imagine if I was like there where these doctors are seeing it over and over and over and over again. Of course, you would just tell everybody, do anything you can to stay alive. But that may not be the right answer for everybody. Mm-hmm. Which is which is what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a second, maybe maybe they're not being completely honest about the side effects of the treatments they're suggesting because they weren't completely honest with you about the side effects of chemo, were they? Right. And all it takes, you know, is going through the chemo or going through the radiation. And like I did with radiation, having them actually deny what was going on. Mm. Right? And I said, this is happening to me from the radiation. They said, oh, no, it couldn't be. (laughs) And, you know, downplaying and exactly, we can only go forward. We made those decisions. We made those decisions based on our faith in people who were telling us that was the thing to do Mm -hmm. and who didn't square up with us, who didn't say, hey, Susan, if you do this, it might break a hole through your anus into your vagina so that you're going to be shitting at your cunt, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened. And they didn't tell me that. Right. Right? So, you, you know... Then we get, then we get kind of like, ah, uh, maybe I don't want your next treatment. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're not going to be honest with me about it. And the fact of the matter is nobody knows. They don't know, and you don't know, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you have the best possibility of knowing what is best for you. And you've come to a place where you can turn and look and say, I've done pretty much everything they wanted me to do. And they still want me to do more. Maybe it's time for me to do something on my own now. Mm-hmm. And so what would that look look like? Let me recap. You were diagnosed with breast cancer. You were treated with chemotherapy. You were treated with surgery. They believe that there are precancerous cells left in your breast, which is probably true. It's rare that breast cancer starts at one place. It's usually a multifocal event. And one of those precancerous cells starts to grow, and then it actually prevents the others from growing. And when you take that one out, then the others can start to grow. Mm. On the other hand, using radiation to kill those cells will make other cells that will become breast cancer. Right? And we won't even deny that. 
And mm-hmm. they'll say something like, yeah, well, those precancerous cells in your breast could turn into cancer in the next five years. Whereas the ones that we're causing in your breast probably won't turn into cancer for 20 years, but you're only 36. Mm-hmm. 20 yeah, years exactly. is not a lot in your life. And the risk of radiation-induced cancer is huge. Not only that, the vast majority of women who survive their breast cancer but get radiation therapy die of heart disease caused by the radiation. Mm. Did they tell you that the radiation will damage your heart forever? No. Kind of the opposite. (laughs) You're irradiating your heart. There's no way to irradiate your breast without irradiating your heart. That's what I figured. That just makes good sense. And as I said, I was reading a specific article about this. I follow heart health pretty closely because I live with somebody who has heart health issues. So I really like Mm -hmm. to see what's going on. And they had a special newsletter on the consequences of radiation given to women with breast cancer and what happens with their hearts. So the cardiologists know. Mm-hmm. So what what is the goal? Let's ask ourselves what the goal is. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, please, but I think the goal is for you to remain cancer-free. Yes. Right now you're cancer-free, and we want you to remain cancer-free. Now, the way they want you to remain cancer-free is radiation and constant scans. By constant, I mean like every three months. And um, my sense of how to maintain oneself cancer-free does not involve scans. And when I told them, I'm not coming back for scans, they said, well, well, you know, the the treatments that that we gave you can cause cancer, and we want to catch that cancer early so we can treat it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you, no. Partly because I don't want that mindset. I don't want a mindset of checking to see if I have cancer every three months. Thank you. Okay. I found my cancer. I found my cancer myself, both of them. And if I, if there's cancer again, I'll know that. What yeah. do I think are the things that really, at this point, help prevent cancer? Top of the line, green tea. And. Since I am the kind of person who usually overdoes it, I said, green tea. Green tea is good against mm-hmm. cancer. Good. I'm going to drink matcha, mm-hmm. right, because green tea is like, well, you have a tea bag with a little green tea in it. Matcha is like, I'm drinking, I'm actually consuming the green tea, right? <laughs> so I start the day now. I start every day with about a third of a cup of really strong matcha. I make myself a week's worth, and then I just pour it. I like cold drinks. I pour it cold right into my glass along with my nourishing herbal infusion. And nourishing herbal infusion, really one of the most important ways to stay cancer-free. Loaded with vitamins, loaded with minerals, loaded with polyphenols, loaded with antioxidants, loaded with anti-inflammatories. We could go on and on. Loaded with protein. 
You know, yeah. they turned me out of the hospital at 119 pounds with the aid of nourishing herbal infusions and good cooked food. I was able to gain 35 pounds of muscle in a year. Wow. Right? Even bodybuilders have a hard time doing that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, right, those nourishing herbal infusions, I say, are the credit card to your body, to your immune system, to your body's ability to stay healthy. So if you're not drinking your quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day, this is a call to you to start doing that. And, of course, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And, where, you know, they said to me, wow, not only did we get clear margins all the way around your cancer when we took it out, but even though my cancer, one of my cancers was in a lymph node, None of the lymph nodes in that group had a single cancer cell in them. And I think that's mushrooms. Okay, yeah. So stay with the mushrooms. If you're thinking, oh, you know, how, how, well, stay with the mushrooms. And especially, you know, turkey tail has Mm -hmm. the strongest, um, at this point, quantifiable, results with actual studies being done with women who have breast cancer and show that there is a dose-related response. The more turkey tail the women took, the less likely they were to have a cancer recurrence and the more likely they were to have their cancer go away. Lovely. Yeah. Then, you know, other than that, just some of the things that you've heard me talk about before. Don't take supplements. Don't take anything in pill form. Mm-hmm. But especially when you don't want cancer to come back, I think that that's when it becomes really important not to take any supplements. Okay. I also think that what I'm going to loosely call attitude is important. <laughs> And I think one of the biggest things that we can do for our attitude is to step aside from fearing things that we really have no control over. You and I got cancer because there are estrogenic chemicals in the environment. And I had I met a woman who was diagnosed with cancer right around your age who grew up on an organic farm. She never in her life, even when she was in her mama's belly, ate any food that wasn't organic. Wow. Wow. It's not really something we could do something about. That doesn't mean, you know, abandon hope. Mm-hmm. But it means... <sighs> That this is not the time when having foibles and fears is going to be useful to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I say that because I find that a lot of the people who are out there giving advice about, oh, you know, you have a cancer diagnosis, you know, now you have to not eat meat, not eat milk, and not eat bread, and not, you know, and it's the list of nuts is just staggering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You didn't go through what you've gone through to live with a list of knots. Mm-hmm. Take good care of yourself. And if taking good care of yourself means every once in a while you have some ice cream. I had some ice cream tonight with my chocolate cake for my birthday. It was good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm good at that too. I'm good at ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Is this this helpful to you? Is this making any sense to you? It is. It is. Thank you. And I mean, I feel so lucky that I was already so familiar with your work before all of this happened that, you know, it kept me within a certain realm of things and not not going too far, you know, I'm not going down the supplement road, things like that. And so I'm just really grateful and it's very um, encouraging just to hear um, to kind of continue as I'm as I'm going here. Yes, I think, you know, putting any further treatment on hold for a while um, sounds very reasonable to me. And again, I, I, what I hear from you is someone who, if you get a sense that you're going to need treatment, that you would not bury that impulse. You would say, oh, look at that. Okay, now I need to, like, go back. Yes. Yes, because yeah. I did find it myself also. So I feel empowered by that. Mm -hmm. Yes, you you are sensitive to yourself. You're going to know what you need. Not exactly, not at every moment, but enough. Mm -hmm. Enough. And one of the things that I had to remind myself is this is not a straight path. This is not a throughway. This is a little road which meanders. Mm Mm-hmm. Some days you'll feel, I am I know what I'm doing, and other days you'll think, God, what an idiot I am. How come I'm not following the doctor's advice? It, it's, it's okay. Like meditation, okay. just let this, just let those thoughts go. Mm-hmm. You can have them, but you don't have to live them. Thank you. And one last thing before we say goodbye. Check out the studies on low-fat diets after breast cancer treatment. Mm. See if any of it applies to you. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much for sharing with me. Don't be a stranger. Call back now and then. All righty. Okay. Thank you. Good night. All right, and we have five callers that have pressed one to signal they have a question. Our next caller is dialing in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday, dear Susan. Happy birthday to you and many more. Happy birthday. I was so hoping when she said 845 that it was going to be you, and my heart is just so filled with gratitude that you sang to me. Oh. Oh. Birthday card in your mail in your PO box. With oh, goody goody! All right, <laughs> I'll look for it. Thank you. <laughs> All the best to you, Susan, and many gratitudes to be benefiting for your wonderful experience and good heart. Um, I want to report uh, from the last time um, when I said I stopped taking medication. Of course, it is uh, a difficult decision that I took completely on my own. And uh, after I took it, uh, I called you and you supported me, and I am grateful for that. And I am doing okay, and... I am less dizzy, and I am. I did order the Shisandra, uh Shisandra tincture. Uh, I have an unclear relationship with it, and I wanted to ask you if this is maybe my problem, but. Um, or maybe they just put too much alcohol in the tincture. I I got it from Herb Farm, and it got it got me dizzy as if I was drunk. Uh, yes, I I did. It's it's written on it to take it uh, in between meals, which I understood, uh, meaning uh, you know on an empty stomach, which I did in the morning, and I was totally. Dizzy after that for a few minutes. Um, I was expecting to get some um, energy out of it. So the energy physically didn't show up, but uh, another form of energy which is for me very lacking and is self-care in terms of treating myself as a person who has a disease um, I am exercising every day. I mean, I'm doing Feldenkrais, uh, which is wonderful for me, and I am walking around the house at least five minutes and outside the house, weather permitting, because I don't want to break my bones. And um, I am taking Passion Flower, with whom, with whom I have a very heartfelt relationship. Maybe because of the name, or maybe because it really helps me, because my nervous system seems to feel better. And um, the expression of it is that I wake up less during the night, and I put less um, uh, mint and all kinds of creams on the area where it burns for the last four years. And I just stop doing it, and I'm trying to adjust to the idea that passion flower will help me heal. 
but with Shisandra, I um, maybe it's too early to expect an increase in my energy. I still every it's I, I am on a baby on a baby schedule. Like every two three hours, I need to rest. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> I hear you. You know, um, it's very interesting that it should say on there to take Shisandra on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because, really, it doesn't make any difference at all. It's not like taking something on an empty stomach is going to change how it affects you. Uh, but also because Shisandra is actually a food. Like, I use it as a seasoning on my food. I generally take Shisandra with food. Oh. When you use it, you say you put it in the in a dressing, in, the, in, in whatever you cook. In, uh... Well, I have a Shisandra vine. And oh. as we know, last year was like a heavy fruit year, and we got... So many Shisandra berries. I took class after class after the Shisandra vine and said, go for it, harvest Shisandra, you know, make stuff. And you know, so many people made Shisandra berry vinegars and Shisandra berry tinctures. And I made vinegars and tinctures myself, but I also made Shisandra berry oxymel and Shisandra berry honey. And I salted down some Shisandra berries, which, wow, I, I'm going to do it with half the Shisandra berries next year because that is my favorite way of using it and I sprinkle it was just fresh ripe shisandra berries and a layer of salt a layer of berries layer of salt layer of berries and they've just kind of like you know tightened up in the salt mm-hmm. and then I use that shisandra flavored salt with the berries on all kinds of things it's just delicious mm. salad you mean sure salad um Potatoes, broccoli. Um, I roasted some vegetables last night. A big pan of roasted vegetables. I put a big piece of cabbage in each of the four corners of my roasting pan, and then I cut up carrots and celery root and turnips and potatoes and onions, and I put in garlic and poured olive oil on it, and then I sprinkled some shisandra salt on it, covered it in foil, baked it for 45 minutes, took the foil off, and baked it for another 20 minutes. Hmm. Sounds delicious. You know, and I love baked vegetables. It's such an easy, right? I put potatoes in, so it's my meal. I don't have to do anything else. I spend 20 minutes cutting up the vegetables, put them in the pan. I go and stir them around, you know, Twice, you know, once at 20 minutes and once at 45 minutes, and then I eat it. And so I'm free to work or do whatever I want while my dinner is baking in the oven. And it's just so delicious, and I love the shisa- eating the shisandra that way. Mm-hmm. So why don't you try doing the opposite of what the bottle is telling you and put a tiny bit of shisandra in your morning beverage. Oh, okay. Oh, well, my morning beverage is uh, the the tea. I mean, you know, your five teas. I mean, one of them. Infusion. Yes. Yeah. 
infusion. Exactly. That's what I do. I put my the tinctures that I want to take, I put them in the infusion that I drink in the morning. So just put a couple of drops of your Shisandra berry tincture in there. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And, and I was going to say to you before you started telling me about all of these things is that what I hear in your voice is a grounded energy that I have not heard in years. Ooh. <laughs> right, listen, listen to yourself laughing. Feel how much in your body you are. Yes, that is. For many years you've been pushing your body around. You're, you are right. And so you and your body were separate. And now you and your body are one thing, and I I feel much more joy from you. Thank you. This happens on a day of, of great distress and plans and intentions of distancing myself from my one and only beloved daughter, and probably it's what I have to do for myself. Yes. 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 We will envision her getting exactly what she wants and needs. Yes. Yes. What's your name? Jasmine. Jasmine. The flower, yeah. Jasmine. Jasmine. And you are the passion power. And yes, Cassandra, both, both, of which are, both of which are vining plants. Mm-hmm. Both the passion flower and the Shisandra are very vigorous growing plants that vine up and are happiest when they can go up and up and up. So I think you're on to something. Oh, wow. I am so happy to hear that, I think. I don't. I I I get from you every time you talk about any plant. It is like on the deepest list of affection and love for nature, and that touches me so very deeply. And slowly, even though I, you know, I don't do anything with them in preparation, but I I I feel. Uh, that I'm in some way becoming part of nature more since I am with you. And for this, I am so very grateful. I love nature. I always did. But this is touches the most vulnerable part of me that needs to heal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. We are so blessed. Birthday. Happy birthday to me! Yay! 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 Woohoo! <laughs> uh, happy birthday, girl! I, I, I have your photograph with uh, with your granddaughter. You're both so beautiful together. <laughs> you know, she's taller than I am now. Yeah, my grandchildren also. Yes, they grow. They grow like beautiful trees of life. 
that they do. Speaking of trees, um, I don't often talk about my other radio show, which is a once a month hour long show that I do for HealthyLife.net. Um, but it's worth going and checking HealthyLife.net if you're interested. And each year I have a different theme, and this year's theme is trees. Oh, I am absolutely. I am for the trees, the trees of life. Yes. Yeah. They give yeah. us the best air we can breathe here. Right. This month's tree um, is birch. I think they usually run my show uh, oh, the first birch. Monday. First Monday of the month, but again, it's available, you know, all all month long. So, healthylife.net, this year, it's the trees. Green <laughs> blessings. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. And there are five callers with their hands raised. The next caller is dialing in from the 516 area code. From the 516, you are live with Susan. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Susan. Happy birthday to you. I love you, dear. It's Kimberly. Thank Thank you. Uh, So that's actually why I hit one. I can't believe there were four people ahead of me. I, like, dialed right in at 7.30. Like, wow. Um, but fantastic. I'm so happy for you. It's your birthday. I remembered. I was like, it's, it's February. It, it's Susan's birthday. It's a Tuesday. I'm calling. <laughs> uh, um, so, anyway, um, so glad. And Astrid is there. That's so lo- lovely. I have wonderful memories of Astrid um, from my apprenticeship. And, um, hey, I got a chance to reconnect with um, another former apprentice, uh, Risa. Astrid is wrinkling her brow. She doesn't remember me. Yoni she Kat. doesn't remember your voice. Aha. Mm-hmm. Haven't said your name, so she doesn't know. Oh, I'm Kimberly, Red Cedar Cat. Uh, I took Yoni right. Cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because it was the Yoni <laughs> workshop, as I recall, that Astrid was it doing was, that right? Indeed. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I think so. The cat uh, was named Yoni. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Which, yes, indeed. So, um, wow, I, I was uh, really um, uh, loved listening to you um, talking to the woman dancing with breast cancer. That was uh, a beautiful talk. Um, and just a couple of points on that just from my own I I don't personally have the experience but from my my sweetheart uh, uh, Olga friend she um, you know the radiation they actually do a vector diagram when they're doing the radiation plan that that's uh, like measures how much radiation your heart and your lungs and your spinal cord are going to get and um, you know I don't know if, if I shared with you but she actually had to have and this is, by the way, uh, 20, 2009 and 10 that she was treated. So this is many years thereafter. Um, and it was not breast cancer. It was a different kind of cancer. Um, but, you know, she actually, um, she had to have a, an ablation on her heart because so much of the tissue had been, you know, basically, you know, destroyed. Um, 
And, you know, so, yeah, the radiation is a, is a brutal, uh, a brutal thing. But um, um, you're feeling well, yes? You're doing well? You're recovered? I am doing really so well. I'm going to steal a phrase from somebody because he told me I could. I said, how are you doing? He said, if I was doing any better, there would have to be two of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Um, that is lovely. I love it. I love it. I'm so, and I can hear it in your voice. You sound you sound strong and 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 happy. I'm so glad. Um, yeah. So I reconnected um, a little kerfuffle with uh, uh, one who will not be named on Facebook. Um, brought uh, um, Risa Joy Mateo and my, myself back together again. Um, one of your former apprentices. Uh, I think from 2009, <laughs> and uh, so we chatted on the phone a bit, and um, I'm actually considering, you know, maybe going back in that direction, you know, with the teaching and so on. So um, I um, I ran into a woman at the dentist today, and I I knew that she was uh, she had she was pregnant, and because uh, uh, you know as she sat down, you know, I was like, oh, I think she's pregnant, and so I I asked her. I said, how are your feet doing? And she's like, oh, okay. I said, how are the hemorrhoids? She goes, nothing so far. <laughs> she, she just kind of like, looked at me, right? You know? <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, she said that word. And um, I was like, oh, well, you know, my herbal teacher, her first book was all about the the herbal for the childbearing year. I said, I've never had children, so I really wouldn't know. <laughs> I said, but you might want to check it out. And so um, that's what really kind of, brought it full circle today and this today being a birthday I just wanted to sing to you and and um praise and bless and thank you and uh, celebrate you oh that's so great Casey thank you I don't know if you heard the very beginning of the show where I said that um yesterday um a group of past apprentices uh met and their intention is to keep meeting and to keep expanding. Fantastic. I did not hear yeah. that. That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, email whoever you email, you know, and tell them <laughs> you want to be part of the apprentice group. All right. As, uh, is there anybody taking point on that? or um, Justine, is are you handling that or? Linda Conroy. Are you in touch with Linda Conroy? Um, I think I emailed her uh, along the lines because I was trying to put together a list of past apprentices at one point, and I got a list. Yeah, you did. Indeed. (laughs) Well, Astrid Astrid has said she's going to go through the book and see how many she can contact, so we'll see. Yeah. But that's our goal. Our goal is to have a place, you know, now that we are all so conversant with Zooming around. Oh, indeed. You know, it's uh, you know we can meet in the cloud, as it were. <laughs> it was it was just wonderful. It reminded me. Oh yes, last year I had a Zoom birthday oh. because we were all so locked down from COVID that it was the only thing that was possible. Oh. But yeah, so it was like I was like, oh yes, what a beautiful echo of that, and all these beautiful <laughs> songs today. Oh, my heart is just. <laughs> Just delighted, truly delighted. Yeah. Well, I'm giving you a big hug, and uh, hopefully, uh, I'm, loving it. I'm really, 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 really want to go to the Goddess Conference, uh, Goddess Festival in October. 
we'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, that's my goal. I hope you'll be there as well, and um, maybe we can. The goddess festival, Jujana's goddesses in the redwoods. Yes, it's open now. She's she's opened up the tickets. Yeah, September. Yeah, September. September. Yeah, yeah, September. Yeah, early September. Yeah, it's not on my printed schedule because, of course, she called and told me she was doing it like the day after I had them printed, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I just switched things around. So if you've got a printed (laughs) schedule and it's not on there, don't be scratching your head and going, huh? Go and look online and you'll see that I'm going to be out in California with Jujana and the goddesses. And, oh, yeah, Casey, come. It's so thrilling. It's really I've been, I mean, I've been, it's been Gosh, it's been 10 years since I was there. I think 2012 was my last one, as I recall. But wow. Long time. And yeah. uh, I'd love to. And I'd I would love to, to give you a hug. Together. I'd love yeah. to give. Well, I'm giving you uh, one right now, darling. So all right. love you much. I'll let the other callers with real questions get on the line. And, all um, right. Love you too. I'm looking forward to the Comfrey Conference as well. Yes. Yeah, Comfrey Conference. Yes. Okay. Love you, sweetheart. Mwah. Love you. Bye-bye. All right, and we've got four callers with raised hands. Next caller is dialing in from the 252 area code. From the 252, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Happy birthday. I'm glad I'm calling in on a night that is special for you. Thank um, you. I'm Sure. Um, I'm calling with a question about plants, but I'd like to pause for a second with the concept of your apprentices coming together and and working together and joining each other more actively now, I, I think that's such a wonderful thing. And um, something I was going to talk about if there was time is a level of frustration I'm having with how much stupid is out there. And I'm so glad to see your apprentices taking initiative to to, to be together because they're not stupid, you know. And, and I'm 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 real frustrated in in a lot of my daily interaction with people about their approach to herbal medicine and it's allopathic and um, it's it's dismissive. And um, today I had a friend who um, was having trouble with blood pressure and she had multiple medications and the doctors were saying they were really running out of things that they could possibly use for her and she was not having any improvement. And I said to her, maybe two months ago or so, I said, try some motherwort. I said, you have a lot of anxiety. It'll help with that. I said, you know, why don't you go ahead and, and try some motherwort? And I linked her to to Rebecca's site so that I was sure she was getting motherwort that was made well. And um, she had a doctor's appointment today. And her blood pressure is 120 over 90. And she is over the moon about that. And she didn't think it could have had anything to do with the motherwort because she's been taking it for so long. She's almost finished the bottle and it took this long. And I, I just, I mean, doesn't that make you want to throw up? Because <laughs> it does me. So I'm really glad that your folks are are going to be active going forward and, and hoping that through this next chapter of all of our lives, there's a lot more attention paid to how to think about healing the body as opposed to taking a pill. Um, and and you've, you've taught so many people how to do that well, myself included. Thank you. You, um, you are welcome. You know, one of my first teachers looked at me and she said, don't ever think that all of the people are going to get it. She says, that is not ever going to happen. She says, all we need is about 10% of the people to get it. And they will be active enough to carry the rest. 
I think you're right. I heard something recently about it was about sustainable living and sustainable agriculture, and it was, you know, preach to the choir because if you're preaching to the choir, the choir is singing better and louder, and people will hear it. and And it's okay to preach to the choir, <laughs> and, and it's fortifying when we preach to the choir. <laughs> yeah, the choir um, loves it. Oh, they're, they're getting attention. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so my my question you know, is. The wise woman tradition is so much a part of the earth and so much a part of our hearts and so much a part of woman's way of being on this planet that it will always be unsuccessful to try to eliminate it. That's that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and without... I mean, people people are dying. People have been dying before COVID. People, you know, our systems are crumbling, and it's happening because we have disconnected so much. And um, I, I think this next generation of young people has spent their entire lives understanding that, which will be good. Mm. Um, so may it be so. Blessed be. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a question about plants. About I'm I'm questioning tincturing berries. Um, both Vitex and Juniper. And I watch the plants and I work with the plants and I grow the plants and I prune the plants. And I'm never quite sure when to take the berry. Is it taken when it's green or waiting until it dries? And do I lose anything if I wait till it dries, if I've got dried berries versus berries that are green? Because particularly with the Vitex, there's just that, you know, moment of green and it's almost, you know, you're still wondering is there flower in there and, and I, I never feel quite comfortable to know when to pull the the berry. One of the assignments that I give the apprentices is to work with one ally and to work very closely and to work um, to a very fine degree of differentiation with it. Let me give you an example. One apprentice working with the plant that told her to call it hands from the heart, which we know of as motherwort, um, told her to make a tincture of it every week. So that, as you know, the Flowers go up in a spire, but they kind of, when it starts flowering, they're close to the plant. And then as it, by the time it's like done flowering, you hardly even see the leaves because there's all these like, you know, stalk. So she did, and she had like, I don't know, six or seven different tinctures that she had made over the course of motherwort flowering so that she could then use them and differentiate between them. And she said that the further and further out the flowers got, the more and more heart active they were, and the nearer into the leaves they were when the plant started flower, the more uterine active it was. Wow. So you're really on to something. Yes, okay. those berries are different. Make a bunch of different tinctures. You don't have to make a quart of tincture. You don't have to make a pint of tincture. You can get a tiny little jar. Yeah. Right? Hey, like, go buy some baby food applesauce in the nice glass jars. They're great for little tinctured things. Okay. Or uh, Frontier is selling really...
really nice one-ounce jars with plastic lids that are great for this kind of experiment, too. Right? And then you, you go out there and you make a tincture with those berries every week, right? And just fill it out over the next season. And then, you know, for as many weeks as you want. And then you open them, you sit with them, you see how those tinctures are different, not within, not with the, eye of commerce as to what's the most potent but with the eye of the gift economy which is what gift is this give and what gift is this giving and what gift is this giving yeah what what support can each give right right it's really important that we remember that you pretty much can't do herbal medicine wrong no, I know that's kind of a crazy thing. I mean, suppose somebody gave you foxglove, but you know what? Like, I wanted to taste foxglove. I put it on my lip and burned my lip. Nobody's going to give you foxglove. You just wouldn't stand for it. It's really hard to do it. So that leaves a lot of room for you and each one of us to be present with the plant and be present in a way that isn't really unusual. People who are into wine are into this, aren't they? Yeah. Right, we'll talk about Shisandra berry tincture as though all Shisandra berries were harvested at the same time. They'll talk about the wine this vineyard in that year. Yeah. Well, if it's true of wine, you know, it's going to be true of really all of the plants, but especially what you're asking about, which is the berries. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm I'm really naive about berries. I grow a lot of food and I plant a lot of plants and I you know, I think of berries in terms of what wildlife are they going to feed and, and as far as using them as medicine, this is this is new. This is I feel so I, I'm I'm exploring this a little bit. Do you make sauerkraut? Say it again. Do you make sauerkraut? I do. Sauerkraut with Vitex berries is really good. <laughs> okay. Well, then that's what I'll do with them. I like the Shisandra salt. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yes. And, of course, I mean, I don't have to tell you to put juniper in sauerkraut because that's classic, right? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm trying to understand. I don't even know what exactly I'm going to do with this juniper other than um, I had access to it because the birds came in and they hit the tree so hard that they broke off all the little tips and all the little tips of green and all the berries are on the beautiful blueberries were all over the yard. And I thought, huh, because mine's an eastern red cedar. It's tall. And um, it's it's a juniper, but that's what the common name for it is. That's the way nature does it. Nature is messy. Nature is redundant. Nature always overdoes it. Well, I watched and tried to figure out how am I going to get these berries? How would I ever access these berries? And the birds came in and did it for right, me. Right, here come the birds and go, here you go, boom, 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 right? <laughs> some of the green berry tinctured and some of the berry by itself tinctured, and, and I, I think we'll just play with it this year. Excellent, excellent, so, excellent. Right. I hope you have a joyous year. I think it's it's going to be better than the last two. <laughs> Thank you so much. Dreams, blessings. Good night. Bye.
All right. And we've got three callers with their hands raised. The next caller is dialed in from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. system because it seems that my lymph nodes are swelling and you know I just got over a COVID infection and so I'm wondering if it's possible that still some reaction going on to that. Um, I was kind of hoping that you could like explain why they swell and all of that. place where I go every week for physical therapy, pelvic floor physical mm-hmm. therapy, um, there's a chart on the wall of the lymphatic system. And I just stand there and I stare at it, just trying to get inside the lymphatic system and have some sense of what it is. And I think that My problem with it is that I don't think that that the lymphatic system, um, any more than any other system of the body, functions by itself. I think that it's part of the interstitium, part of the parts of the body that connect the body to itself. And so, you know, so what's going on with the fascia? What's going on with the skin? What's going on with the ligaments and the tendons? What kind of flexibility, in a way, do we have? And, of course, this is where comfrey really shines, right? Is nobody would say, oh, comfrey's a lymphatic herb. But what we do know is that comfrey is something that brings it all together and builds a structure that is both 
incredibly strong while being superbly flexible. So, so the way we look at the lymphatic system in a kind of isolated way is the lymphatic system, we say, well, that's part of the immune system, which is true. In fact, I'm saying it's part of, important part of many systems. And that it responds to infection, which is also true. The way we look at the lymph nodes is they are storage areas for infective or infected cells. That mm. if the body can't get rid of them, it kind of stashes them into the lymph nodes. This is why when there's cancer surgery, lymph nodes are removed and looked at to see if there's cancer cells in the lymph nodes because we believe that that increases the risk of there being distant spreading of the cancer because the lymph lymphatic fluid goes everywhere. So when you say that your lymph nodes are swollen, is that in under your chin, in your neck, in your throat, in your armpits, in your groin? What part? You're breaking up too much for me to understand anything. Um, no. Okay. Um, here, I can I can hear you. I can hear you better now. You've changed something. So uh, I can feel, what I can feel right now is in my neck, that both sides, I can feel them swollen. However, I also felt on my left side, a lymph, I th- what I think is a lymph node swollen in my, in my groin area. And then along my rib on my left side, I feel a lymph node also. But mm-hmm. um, bigger than a piece. Are they, you know. are they painful to the touch? My groin area was so painful that I had to put a lid on press, and that um, helped it. Um, I left it there overnight, and when I woke up in the morning, it wasn't painful anymore, but it was the night before. And what did you leave on overnight? A linden. I just put some linen into a... Oh, I put wonderful. Linen. How lovely. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I yeah, I wanted to report that that worked beautifully. It just took away the pain. Oh, oh yay, Linden. Ah, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> are, the, are these lymph nodes hot? Um, no. Well, hmm. It's been hot here. I'm in California. <laughs> I'm sweating okay, all right. day. <laughs> I'm sweating all that up. But it's but but it, it's not like the lymph nodes are hotter. Mm, I don't think so. You're hot. No. So everything about you is hot. Yeah. But if there's mm-hmm. if there's something that's really infection going on, there will be mm-hmm. usually pain and or heat. 
and or redness in addition to the swelling. Okay. If there's just swelling and none of the other associated things, then it's more likely to be what you're saying, some lingering effects from the COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the (laughs) herbs are primarily thought of as lymphatic moving herbs are cleavers Mm -hmm. and oak Mm -hmm. root. Cleavers Mm -hmm. being the nice one, which says, would everyone please get moving? And Pope being the one mm-hmm. that says, you know, get along, you bad words. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. you know, yeah. generally people use cleavers, and it can be used in rather mm-hmm. large amounts, you know, a dropper full several times a day. Mm-hmm. But if you, mm-hmm. you know, but if you've had lymph nodes removed from your armpit and you suddenly wake up and your arm is turned into a watermelon, you're going to reach for the poke. You're not waiting around for cleavers. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you you know, and I say to people, if you think there's something really amiss and you're using the cleavers and you don't feel that it's being active enough, you can always use one drop of poke. You don't need much poke. Okay. That's good. I have both, so I... Yay, you! I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... You know, I um I have some comfrey, so I made comfrey infusion, and I have some infusion left, and I have the comfrey scent herb. Is there a way to get in the bath with the scent herb that you know of that isn't crazy? <laughs> yes, you tie it up in something like a handkerchief or a diaper or uh-huh. a muslin bag. Okay, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Right, okay. like with the cool. with the muslin bags, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. In addition to the drawstring, to use a rubber band. Okay, yeah, get it mm-hmm. because the, get it really the herb is finely cut and it'll drift out of the little drawstring opening. But if you rubber band it, it usually won't. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Bathing with herbs, okay. good way to get to know your plumber. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm my own plumber. <laughs> I'm kind of out in the usually. That's why you. That's why you don't want to throw them in the tub because you know. <laughs> exactly. The, the drain is not going to be happy about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. Dream blessings. Thanks for your questions and for sharing with us. Good night. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Happy birthday. Bye bye. Thank you. All right, and there are two callers dialed in with questions. The next caller is calling from the 212 area code. From the 212, you are live with Susan. Happy birthday, Susan. Thank you so much. That's Lauren, and I couldn't resist getting on the birthday, happy birthday train. I won't burden you with my singing. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren and I have a very special relationship She's one one of the um, women who apprenticed a long time ago 
probably heard us talking about the apprentice house this and the apprentice house that. But when Lauren apprenticed, I only had the one house and the apprentices actually stayed in the house with me. That was quite that was quite the thing, wasn't it? It was it, uh, the we there was the metal patch. You had gotten it by then. Oh, had I already? Yeah, right. yeah. You are. But I was I was up on the mesa, so yeah, <sighs> yeah. Wow, I had forgotten. Good on you that you spent time up on the mesa. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That was such a gift. It was so wonderful. It was nice and cold and wintry and <laughs> magical. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, my! I've been thinking. Oh, uh, you should have, you should have been there over the weekend. Eh? You know, it was uh, truly one of the most miraculous sights I have ever seen to see every twig sheathed in a quarter inch of ice and glittering and casting off rainbows in the sun. Oh, so magnificent! Um, all the way up the mountains, like a forest of ice. Mm. It was really, it was like looking at me going, "Yep, Disney, this is it, Frozen." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can just picture it. I wish it were that way did it, here. What, did it, did was it, it that way down in the city? Did no, you get ice well, up not, down there? Not, not my part. It's an odd part. I'm by the, the ocean, and um, the winds took the snow where there were some parts of the boardwalk that was bare, and then some piled up, and, and I'm not amongst trees, so I'll have to move sometime soon. <laughs> But oh it's, dear! It's quite marvelous to be here, and uh, mm. it's, it's a good time for me to be here. So I'm, uh, and it's an odd time. It's an odd part of the city, but you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about the apprentice time, and um, and that I really, really felt the need to be in community again. And it's so funny to hear you talking to Kimberly about the. Uh, Linda Conroy getting people together. How wonderful that is. Join us. Yes. We want you. Oh, I'm getting in touch for sure. For sure. That's good. I wanted to wish you many, many birthday blessings. and um, I just, uh, lots of love. Mm, I'm feeling it. I'm so treasure you and value our time together and uh, and I love you a lot I love you too Lauren have a wonderful birthday and I'll see you thanks soon thanks for your call bye bye love love good night love bye bye we have one more caller who pressed one to raise their hand and you are dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. Hey, I'm so glad you that here you are at the end of the show. You always do such a good wrap-up. Oh, well, I try to be polite and wait, and, you know, if there's no one else that needs you, I gladly will give you my blessings. And I was just thinking... On your birthday, is it okay if I think of you as Grandmother Susan now? Sure. No problem. Would that be okay? 
Thank you. It would. Thank okay. you for that. We're only, uh, only, I shouldn't say only, I should say we are 17 years apart. So age-wise, it doesn't qualify. But wisdom-wise, I'm going for it. And um, you go, yeah, yeah. And thank you, thank you for your being, and thank you for your show. I missed the part about the other show with the trees. Could you say that again? How we can listen again uh, to you? The radio show, and the station is healthylife.net. Oh, that's the same one that uh, Lynn Andrews uses, I think. I think so. It's a it's a network network, and my show yeah. is aired. I think the first Monday of each month. You know, I record okay. it ahead of time, so I don't actually know. And they've switched it around on me during the time when I've been doing it, and might yet, you know, again. But I know that it's archived like all month. Like you can go and listen to it any time. Yes, it's a it's a wonderful uh host. Healthy Life dot life dot net. The one Lynn uses and I can't remember what day of the month she's on, but when I'm lucky enough to do so I listen. But like you said, you can go back and they're pretty quick. Now we can go back and listen to your shows too, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, the blog well, talk shows. Your show, you mean these shows, the blog talk shows? You yeah. can go back and, and listen to all of them. We archive them all, all the way back. Okay. I, 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 I know it takes a little time to get up to date and everything, but that's very exciting. I miss a lot, and sometimes I, I miss part of the show. I missed part of the show last week. Um, often I take a nap before your show, otherwise I'll fall asleep. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just um, something weird about Tuesdays and me, I guess. <laughs> I have a trouble getting through the whole day on a Tuesday. I wake up very early uh, in the beginning of the week, uh, often hours before the sun rises. So anyway, um, you asked me last week to Google uh, my concerns about the different kinds of calcium and I am blown away how many different types and sources and uh, solubilities that they all have it's a lot yeah we're really really suckered in when somebody says calcium and we think it's one thing it's not I was I raised my hand I'm sorry but I was suckered Yes, I was. So, that being understood, the second question is, does it really matter, empty stomach, not empty stomach, because there's the water-soluble, the fat-soluble, which they break it down to stomach acid or no stomach acid necessary. And I'm like, what? 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 What voodoo is this? What are you talking about now? And I just started thinking about where do I get my calcium from and what do I crave when I need it? 
And lo and behold, what the doctor's ordering me is not what I crave, the citrate, the citrate, which is, uh, I believe, no stomach acid necessary. I have a very acidic system, I believe, according to the pH done on me. And I I hope I've corrected it a little bit, but... um, I always thought I was so water-soluble, like I was made of water and I was born on the ocean and I'll die on the ocean and, you know, all this good stuff, you know, mumbo-jumbo, you know, (laughs) hippy-dippy stuff in my head. But now that I look at it, I think I like the fact, I I think I like the, the, um, the, I think it's called carbonate, and I, I believe it's mostly from uh, fat, uh, fatty sources like shrimp rather than leafy greens, which would be on the more water-soluble base. And I do like leafy greens too, but then they talk about the oxalates can interfere with the absorption, and it's, I'm just lost now. I, I, I mean, I'm going to have to keep looking and looking and looking, but it, the the thing I'm looking at really is my own body, how how I feel with the with the different sources. And what and they, what is so what is so thrilling to me is that the nourishing herbal infusions provide a smorgasbord of all of these different kinds allowing your body to choose what it wants because it's not just you who's confused. We're not actually designed to think about these things. I don't think so either, yeah. And I thought you would say that about the infusions too, right. It's interesting. And, hey, what fun to, like, get into it and go, whoa, check it out. Like, calcium is like... You know, like a split personality, it's got so many different ways of being. <laughs> you know, that's true. Um, it seems my to be granddaughter true. and I read to each other, especially when she's in Costa Rica, and she's reading me a novel told from the wolf's point of view. Really? What's it called? Ah, oh, I don't know what the name of it is. Just, we've been reading it for a while, so I forget what the name of it is. I'll ask her again tonight. And My son says they, I'm juvenile. They're in the north, I... and they hunt, they hunt caribou, and they talk about the number of animals that eat the caribou antlers to get calcium. Yes. Yes. I wonder if that's... Oh, oh! I remember. I used to have this uh, practitioner that used to give me uh, bovine to take. Yes, I the think bone, it might be. Actual, I think the book might the be called bone. Julie's Wolves. Julie's Wolves. I love those stories. Wolves, wolves, plural of wolf. Wolves, yeah, wolves. Julie's Wolves. Oh, I'm going to like, and your granddaughter's reading it to you? How special is that? And I'm reading her European travels of monstrous gentlewomen. And the monstrous <laughs> gentlewomen are uh, the, da- the daughter of Hyde and the daughter of Jekyll 
and the daughter of Frankenstein and the daughter of Dr. Moreau. It's just really hysterical cast of characters. What's the name of that book again? Oh, well, European so Travels of Monstrous Gentlewomen. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, well, you have an exciting literary compound going there. <laughs> it's a 700-page book, let me tell you. It's a, quite the tome. Fred appears in it. Uh, 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 Sherlock Holmes appears in it. Some really interesting people. Huh? They go from London to Vienna to Budapest, so we also get quite some travelogue. Oh, I think that's one of my favorite pastimes is is reading to someone or having them read to me or even better yet, just making up a story like with one prerogative, like uh, half a sentence and then continue, please. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I, yes. Like, like that movie Out of Africa. Uh, oh, what was that actress? She was so good at that. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Anyhow... Yes, Kelsey. Anyhow, it's time. It's time for you and I to say, till the next time. Bring okay, blessings. Yeah. Goodbye. I value you. Okay. Thanks for calling. Good night, grandmother. Good night. And I welcome Sarah Chana Silverstein, master herbalist, classical homeopath, author, columnist keynote speaker, adult education teacher, community advocate for women and children, the mother of seven children herself. Sarah Chana is an international board-certified lactation breastfeeding consultant who has helped over 18,000 babies successfully breastfeed. As a doula, she has helped to deliver 450 babies. Sarah Chana has walked thousands of women through a focused natural regime that nourishes their physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. Packed with hundreds of tools, tips, and strategies, her new book, Moodtopia, is a practical, easy-to-use guide to herbs, adaptogens, aromatherapy, color therapy, feng shui, intuition, homeopathy, and more. Sarah Chana shares the best natural remedies to help combat stress, anxiety, promote peace of mind, and general health. She shows how herbs and other natural approaches are a gentle way to enhance one's emotional state without having to resort to antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills, or other medications that, of course, have unwanted side effects. Welcome to the show. All right, let's see. Yeah, if this is want to do some of that. Uh, hey, what can I? What can I? Um, is this, do you want me to start making food? Oh. All right. Um, I am going to need to try and dial Sarah Shana. That was her area code, but I'm not seeing her number in the queue. So, um, give me just a moment. Let me see if I can get her on the line with the number I have for her. All right. While you're doing that, can they hear me? Uh, yeah, they can hear you. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll sing to them. Well, happy birthday to you, and happy birthday to me. Every day you are born, and every day you are free. Happy birthday to me, and happy Day to you, every day you are born, every 
every day you are new. You are new. <laughs> Somebody sent me a, a clip of three women today singing. I cannot sing it nearly as well as they did. They were really extraordinarily good. Um, a little ditty call, called God Dance to the Day You Were Born. And one of them says, God said he couldn't dance, but I saw him do boogaloo the day you were born. the number for Sarah Shauna and I am not getting an answer. I have left her a message. Um, I'm going to check the queue to see if she has dialed in. I do not see her there at this time. Well, all right. Then we will not get to hear what she has to say. Do we have anybody else who has a question tonight or any email questions? Uh, we have a caller that has their hand raised, and I'll remind everyone else listening there um, is still an opportunity to talk to Susan this evening. Press 1 if you have a question. Uh, the next caller is dialed in from the 323 area code. From the 323, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is um, Ananda Sunglo from the Wolf Clan Tribe, and I just called to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you so much, sister. I'm so glad to receive that blessing from you. <laughs> Take care. God bless you. Green blessings. Good night. Bye. All right. Um, I will remind everyone listening, if you've got a question tonight for Susan, please press 1 so that we can see your hand raised in the queue. Uh, we do have a couple email questions. I need to get them out here. And is that where you'd like to go? I've got them here. All right. So, all right. Hello, Susan. Um, for years, I have desired to be capable of astral travel during sleep. I have on a couple occasions felt that I have experienced sleep time travel of some type to other places and times, but it has been for a far and few between, and I cannot seem to connect these travels or direct these travels or bring them about voluntarily. Is astral travel an innate capability for all of us, or is it a gift more accessible to some? If it is innate, how do I go about learning and practicing it? I am so grateful for your wisdom on this and all that you share. Green blessings. What a wonderful question. What a thorough question. Wow. You know... I first became aware of ESP when I was probably 10 or 11. 
I have an essay that I wrote, I think when I was 12, about ESP that I wrote at school. And I was always just fascinated by the whole idea of um, things that weren't just material. Astral travel, you know, out-of-body experiences, um, extrasensory perceptions. And in one very basic way, these certainly are things that any and all people can experience and can experience spontaneously one or more times during their lives. I was talking to a friend and she was telling me that she had spent significant time living on a boat and that she got to the point where she thought if she couldn't be someplace where the world was still, she was going to freak out. And that she had to find some stillness within the constant motion of the ocean and constant motion of the boat. And when she did that, it was like that spontaneous experience of being fully in herself and almost outside of herself at the same time. And it was so enthralling and so useful to her that when she did get back to land, months, 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 months later, she started looking around at techniques for being able to experience that more and more. So before we get into these, let me also say that almost to a one, my teachers have said to me, oh, wonderful, Susan, chakras and trances and out-of-body experiences, and that's all wonderful things to play around with, but it's detours from the past. And in a way, that seemed to me to be pretty old fuddy-duddy. And I understand as years pass by, more and more what they mean. There's only so much I can really retain. And the astral traveling that you're asking about is not let's say, of immediate usefulness or even long-term usefulness. It's certainly a useful experience to know that there might be a part of you that is not only your body. But is there a reason to want to have that experience over and over again. And you could start there and just ask yourself, what, what 
is your reason. And if that is a sufficiently strong and powerful and necessary reason, then that reason in and of itself will cause those experiences to happen. What my friend found was something called the realization process, which is a non-binary technique in which one finds the great stillness of all existence. And from and within and as a part of the great stillness, you could do what anyone would be willing to call astral travel, but you can do so much more. Judith Blackstone, Woodstock resident, here in our little town, little hamlet of Woodstock, is the creator of the realization process. She has um, CDs out as well as uh, some interesting books. I would suggest the CDs and check out perhaps the website and see if there's something about the realization process that will nourish the part of you that's looking for that nourishment Green blessings. Wow. All right. Um, and let's see. We do not have another caller at this time. I do have one more email question. Um, do you like to have another one from the email? Yeah. All right. Um, so this is a how-to, it seems. Um, okay. I'm interested in infusing herbs and honey. Um, I intend mostly to use um, the honey and teas. Uh, What are the steps you recommend to do this? Do I fill the jar packed full like I would with the tincture? Does the honey need to be warm? How long does the herb need to sit and infuse in the honey? I plan on using culinary herbs from my garden pots that I have brought in for the winter, specifically rosemary, oregano, and basil. I make honeys by, yes, cutting up the herb, filling the jar right to the top, and then pouring honey in. The honey doesn't have to be warm, but it has to be pourable. I usually need a chopstick. The honey doesn't slip down in between the pieces of herb the way that vodka does or oil does or vinegar does. Oxymels are a mixture of honey and vinegar. I would make a basil oxymel. Any of those culinary herbs would be fabulous as oxymels. And oxymels are wonderful in marinades and salad dressings and just as dressings on your vegetables as well. The honeys are certainly great in teas. And what I generally do is stick my spoon in the jar with the herb and the honey, taking out a big spoonful of herb and honey and put it in my cup. So you could say that the herbal honey would be ready to use uh, as soon as you made it if you wanted to. But 
they keep for a long time because honey is such a good preservative. And I still have rosemary honey I made 12 years ago. It gets pretty crystallized. And it can even get some of them pretty hard to stick a spoon in. But I really enjoy having a great variety of different honeys to play around with. And I really have enjoyed this past year many past apprentices and students sending me um, honey experiments that they've done. Somebody sent me a jar of hollyhock flowers in honey. Really, really wonderful. Stick that in your teacup and the hollyhock flower just like opens up and fills your teacup. It's such a thrill. And Osharut honey. Yeah, I don't usually think of like roots as honey, but I'm like, oh, wow. Maybe next year I'll make some Alicampane root honey. That would be something. So um, experiment. Um, As we've been talking about on the show tonight, the a good way is to try different things. I put some orange peel in honey, and I was pretty unimpressed with the results. But when I cooked the orange peel in the honey, it turned into orange marmalade. And then I was very happy with it. So different plant structures, and especially if they have different stiffnesses, like the rosemary is much, much stiffer than the basil, right? So the rosemary is going to react differently in the honey. My mom used to live, and my dad too, in a place where there, in Southern California where there were huge rosemary hedges. And so I made all kinds of rosemary things, and I was very impressed at how black almost all of them turned. The rosemary vinegar turned really black. The rosemary honey turned pretty dark, even though I used a light honey with it. I'm not sure you know, if it's a lot of tannins in the rosemary that's causing it to be so black, but it's a really striking color. I suggested a basil oxymel because truthfully i have been singularly unimpressed both by any basil vinegar that i made and by any basil honey that i made the scent and the taste of the basil that we cherish so much just is so volatile that it just does not seem to give itself very well to other things now that said there's basil, and then there's basil, and Thai basil, and this basil, and that basil. And I grew a cinnamon basil last year, which was, wow, I even, you know, found that that was a stunning pesto, which is what I like to do with my basil rather than turn it into honey is make pesto from it. But the oxymel is kind of that nice in-between there where you, I would be able to pick up some of the basil flavor. And um, if not, what can we say? Basil pretty much resists all attempts to get it to be anything other than a culinary herb during the summer, doesn't it? 
I remember for years and years hearing people talk about how frustrated they were that they couldn't dry their basil, it turned black, and that they tried freezing their basil and it turned black, and just uh, uh, just more and more see no. You know, I brought beautiful basil plant in, you know, uh, to the house for the winter. And it said, I'm not living in the house. Promptly dropped all of its leaves and died. I'm like, okay. I thought it was just warm you wanted. It's like, no. I'm a summer plant. So uh, enjoy. I'm so glad that that you're growing culinary herbs. It's a really fun thing. And if you're listening and thinking... Lee, I could grow culinary herbs and pots inside. Yeah. You have any culinary herbs inside, Sarah? Um, at the moment, I I do not. The only plant that I have inside is a begonia, and then some lovely ivy plants that um, came in the in the beautiful flower arrangement that you sent. So those are looking lovely, and the begonia is a survivor. Uh, she's been alive since 2018, and I'm just I don't want to jinx her, but uh, no potted plant. Wow, is she um, she an angel wing begonia or one of the red flowered begonias? She has yellow flowers. Um, Ooh, big fluffy ones. Yeah, yeah, fluffy ones. Mm -hmm. Someone gave it to me, and that's just a little tag that was in there. It looked like just a grocery store begonia from Meyer, I think. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah. She's, uh, yeah, she's they're, so pretty. they're so pretty. She, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So I I cherish her because I don't have a green thumb for indoor plants at all. And um, she's just, she's been there right next to the kitchen sink and the window at the last house and this house. So she's a survivor. <laughs> she looks great. They don't mind low light, mm. and so long as you, so long as you keep them pretty evenly moist. Which, since it's by the kitchen sink, she probably is kept evenly moist. Yes, <laughs> they'll be de- they'll be dependable. Yep, yep. She's she's happy, so knock wood. She stays that way. Right. Um, and of course, you know you know the angel wing begonias, right? I like the I begonia. Don't. You. I, I, Well, the begonia you have, one of the ways you know it's a begonia is because of the shape of the leaves. Mm. Okay. So where is the the stalk of the leaf on the begonia? Oh, goodness. Um, It's it's pretty close. There's not – well, there is a stem on the leaf. It's downstairs. Yeah. And it's, it's on the edge If you go and look at the begonia leaf when you get back, you'll you'll see this, that the stalk, instead of being like in the center of the leaf, or you think it would be, it's like it's traveled all the way over to the edge. And the angel wing begonias, they kind of, the, from that starting point on the edge, they have bred cultivars that have huge leaves that spread up that actually look like angel wings and that often grow in a spiraling pattern. Mm. It's, it's and, kind of and done the leaves that. May be like, yeah, right? right. The leaves can be bigger yeah. than your hand in the, the angel wing ones. 
oh, wow. The pattern she grows up in is beautiful. And I have, like, chopsticks taped together because she needs a little support sometimes. It's pretty in the way the yellow flowers come on and they drape over in spirals. It's, it's beautiful. Really lovely. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't see another caller with a question, but I, if if I could um, raise my hand, I have a question, um, a goat-related question. Yes. Okay. All right. So uh, living in the Midwest, um, something I've read and I believe to be true from experience because I took in one of these goats and she was the nanny goat. She was not, her milk had dried up. She wasn't pregnant. I gave her the warmer, but she still wasn't putting on weight. So then I was reading about loose minerals and goats in the Midwest because they often are just exposed to pasture and grasses and not so much of the forest like what they have at your place. So um, I did some research. I found a loose mineral that I'm comfortable with, and they've been eating it or, you know, have access to it. And she has been putting on a lot of weight. And when I read about it, it was basically the same thing that I hear you say about people, that the goats can eat and eat and eat the best hay and the best grain, but they're not going to be able to metabolize it and assimilate it if they don't have enough minerals in their diet. So what are your thoughts on loose minerals and goats that don't have access to forest? Even my goats have mineral salt in their stalls available at all times. Okay. It's really critical for their health. Okay. Do you have beyond the block? Because that's what I started with, was just the block. And then I was reading that in, well, in this them, area. It's enough. Of- it's enough for okay. them because they have so much access to the mm-hmm. forest and to browse as they will over a very large area rather than being confined to a pasture. So, you know, my, you know, herding techniques allow me basically to get away with doing very little. I don't have to worm them or I don't have to supplement them uh, because I can indulge in giving them their freedom and a lot of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's... the less we have that indulgence, the more we have to make up for it in the same way that when I have a pot in a a plant in a pot, I have to give it stuff, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I can't just like stick that plant in a pot and then say, well, you have soil and water. What more do you need? No, I have to, you know, I have to like cough up some extra nutrition from it. for it there. I want it to thrive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, even if it's I, just I always... to tip some of my infusion into it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely seems to make a difference with the nanny goat, and she wasn't getting it at the farm she was living at in Wisconsin. So, I mean, it's minerals. Wow. It's like I seeing an action with the goats, you know, just like with humans, it's amazing. So is there anything special you would look to uh, avoid, I guess, would be more specific? I've run into some that have, like, synthetic preservatives in them that 
those don't, that doesn't seem particularly necessary. So, are are granular seaweeds still available? Ooh, that's an interesting idea. I don't know. When I this kept one's... those places where I needed to give them a mineral supplement, that's what I always used was granular seaweed. And my goats would eat it. Now, not all goats will. So don't make a big investment. So you check with them and see if they're actually going to do it. And I had, you know, the reason I'm asking is that I remember I went through several places. You know, the first place was like selling seaweed to farmers, and then they went out of business, and then it was a smaller thing. So I don't know for sure if it's still available. But if it is, wouldn't that be glorious? That would be glorious. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank I, you very much. I say that because you can't, you can't like afford feature coats seaweed at the price that you pay for the for human grade seaweed, right? Oh wow, those would be some fancy goodies. <laughs> those would be some fancy goodies at fancy prices. But the granular seaweed usually is a lot, lot less expensive. Oh my goodness! Well, that'll be thing. Uh, I'm gonna check. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and let's see. We I don't see any callers with a raised hand at this time. We've got about two minutes. Um, I don't know. Maybe you want to share more about the Comfrey Conference. There's there's lots to share. There is so much to share about the Comfrey Conference, and um, just a few kind of fun things that I did. Um, was to commission a comfrey goddess, which is done, and I'm working on um, getting it printed on tie-dyed shirts. Hey, I live in Woodstock, right? So that I have a gift to give all the presenters. And uh, also commissioning um, Alan McKnight, who's done most of the illustrations for my books to do a um, his his very beautiful, botanically accurate drawing of Comfrey. And someone else has uh, sent in um, a color drawing that she did of Comfrey. And I'm hoping that we can have a little Comfrey art gallery where people can have uh, various ways that they have presented Comfrey. I'm also um, asking asking those among my helpers, um, is it time for us to start setting up the Comfrey Marketplace? I want there to be a place where people who have Comfrey things that they want to sell um, can sell their Comfrey things. Um, I don't want to have to sell them. I don't even want to get a commission. I just want, you know, uh, maybe it's not even a place where people actually sell things right there, but it's just a bunch of links to where those people are selling those things. So those are the kinds of, you know, it's like still very preliminary things, but those are those are some of the ideas that I'm continuing to uh, enjoy and have and manifest toward the Comfrey Conference, and then Sarah and I are going to be working together for the rest of this month to do very short uh, audio interviews with every one of the presenters, um, and we'll be uh, making those accessible to you for a little, uh, ooh, getting you excited about the Comfrey Conference, and also perhaps helping them focus in on uh, getting their uh, presentations into us. 
Yummy. I guess that brings us just about to um, the last question. What do we want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's been listening to us tonight? We want to leave the knowledge that herbal medicine is people's medicine. That being an herbalist is like cooking your family dinner. It's it's a skill that you have and your children have. It's a skill for taking care of yourself. It's not a substitute for something else. You're not um, being a pretend doctor or pretend anything. You're, be, you're taking care of yourself with herbal medicine. There's a, a lot of room for that. Um, partly because the wise woman tradition is a tradition which encourages us to leave a lot of room, a lot of room for ourselves and a lot of room for anything that's happening and anything that might occur. We're reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. Sarah Ellen, thank you, listeners. Thank you, everyone who called in. And thank you to everyone who has a question for Mm, helping these things happen. Mm, thank you so much, Susan, for helping us all to relieve the ancient healing cloak of the ancients. I'm uh, sorry, and your birthday. Um, happy, happy birthday to you today. Happy birthday to me. Woohoo. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Good night. <laughs>